0: Welcome to
1: Vitality Radio. I'm your host. Each and every week, my name is Jared St. Clair, and I'm good to. It's good to be with you. I'm good to be with you. I don't know whatever it is. Here I am doing another episode of Vitality Radio. It's late tonight. 9:42 uh, p.m. Where I am. I've had a very very busy day, and uh, this episode actually was stewing in my mind all of last week, and uh, here it is, a Monday evening for a Wednesday episode. I try not to do episodes this late at night because I have goals, and one of those goals is great sleep every single night uh, starting by 10.30. I will miss that goal by probably 20 minutes or so tonight, but that's okay because I'm feeling a real uh, unique motivation to bring you this episode. This episode is not about supplementation. It's not about uh, foods you should enjoy or avoid. It's not about uh, really anything that would be nutrient-related, we'll say, This is an Emotional Vitality episode. It is our third Emotional Vitality episode. The first one is called Jen's Story, about my sweetheart, uh, who I uh, am engaged to marry in a couple of months. And if you haven't listened to that episode, it's one of the ones that I've had the most positive feedback on of any episode that I've ever done, which makes me only a little bit... um, Concerned that eventually Jen will start her own podcast and everyone will move over there. But hopefully that doesn't happen because she's actually planning to do at least four more episodes with me in this series where she will detail specifically how she got away from her pharmaceuticals that she was using for her quote unquote bipolar uh, diagnosis. She'll talk about how she shifted her diet how she shifted her mindset and various other things that she did to go from being a anxious and depressed individual who had been addicted to uh, opiates for a decade and had lost at love, we'll say a couple of times. Um, And, you know, a lot of the things that a lot of us go through in this life, but the biggest thing being just basically feeling broken. Jen's story, that episode, is uh, one of my favorite episodes because, well, it's all about the woman that I love. But uh, I think it would be very valuable for you to jump back and listen to that once you've listened to this. And then we'll continue to do additional uh, parts of that. But today's episode is um, its a tool uh, that I'd like to teach you. Uh, let me give you kind of an analogy. I believe that there is a toolbox that we are all... Essentially given uh, during the first seven or eight years of our lives. Um, We have this toolbox that is assembled by our genetics. It's assembled by our nature, uh, which would be kind of the genetics and that sort of thing, but also by our nurture, how we're raised, not just by our parents or parent if you're uh, someone who only had one or adoptive parents or foster parents or whatever your situation is, Uh, not just by your religion if you grew up religious uh, or by your school or by the television or by the politics of the day or the social norms that you grew up in, or any of those things. It's actually all of those things. We have this toolbox that we're given, and uh, there are various sets of tools that we have in the toolbox, and I believe a lot of tools, probably more tools that aren't in the toolbox that we need to kind of have to find on our own later in life. We are... Largely programmed, Uh, neuroscience has uh, determined at this point that roughly by the age of seven, uh, our subconscious mind is kind of set on many of the belief systems that we'll carry with us throughout the rest of our lives. We may change some of those beliefs. We may shift around a little bit, and frankly, we can change all of them if we choose to, but most of us hold pretty steady to a lot of the things that we just were taught, trained, indoctrinated with, whatever, and some of those things, many of those things, have a lot to do with how we feel about ourselves. Are we going to be a happy person, a frustrated person, an anxious person, a depressed person? Well, a lot of things can happen in life, and not all of them in the first seven years, for sure, but I believe that those tools that were given in those first few years are really incredible keys, uh, to kind of give us an idea of, you know, what we're capable of, or or maybe it's what we believe that we're capable of at that point. I'll give you an example. My father, uh, my father, Clyde St. Clair, uh, really as big a hero as I have in, in my life, a, uh, very intelligent man, um, a very stern father to a large degree until he got much older. Um, but a very good, solid mentor for me and for the rest of my siblings. But he came about becoming the kind of father he was because the toolbox he was given by his own father was largely empty in terms of being able to show affection, uh, be a loving, supportive, um, uh, effective but not brutal Um, in his discipline and all of these types of things. He grew up with an alcoholic father that was very abusive, both mostly emotionally and um, verbally, but also physically at times. And he grew up in abject poverty, really, uh, for most of his his childhood. And he essentially escaped home at 17 years old to go to uh, the military because he had to get out of there. And he essentially vowed to himself that he wasn't going to be the kind of father that his father was. Now, he's a different kind of father than I am, but I learned a lot about fatherhood from him. And maybe the best thing I learned from him is that I didn't have to be just like him. I could be my own version of what a, you know, quote unquote, good or effective father is. And, of course, I am a father of, you know, four Uh, I've had two children that uh, I got from my second marriage, a stepchildren that I also love. And um, I recognize, looking back on things, that I haven't been the most effective father in many cases as well. But I think, I hope, that I took what he taught me and added to it in many ways to become maybe um, a a, a little more complete set of tools, I guess. But, you know, if you go to fix something and it requires a... uh, certain type of screwdriver or you know a certain size in your ratchet set and you're missing that well you can spin and spin and spin and spin and and never get anything done and you can try to fit a straight screwdriver into a, a phillips head and you can kind of get it to crank a little bit sometimes if you've got the right size but you're likely to strip the screw and spin and spin and spin and spin right the right tool really really matters And this tool that I want to share with you today, I think, is an incredibly powerful tool. It's the tool of curiosity. Now, everybody knows what curiosity is, and we've been told that it killed the cat, but I can tell you that it can save your life, and I don't exaggerate. Uh, It's not hyperbole, we'll say. Um, Curiosity can be your greatest ally. It can be an incredible tool, and I'm going to go through a few things. There are three people who are uh, essentially uh, have played a role as mentors of of a kind to me. Um, he's been on my show twice. His name's Lamont Wilcox. That's the first guy we'll talk about. He came up with what he calls the fly program or neuro auto associative programming. A really incredible human being and a friend that I consider to be uh, very dear to me. He spent a lot of time talking to me and Jen about how to kind of get out of our own way, essentially, and curiosity was a big part of the toolkit that he helped to uh, provide us with—a a tool that I—I I don't think—I don't think Jen had a lot of it in her toolbox. We'll say, or a very effective uh, piece of curiosity in hers. I may have had a little more in mine in some ways. Um, certainly on the business side, but probably not so much on the personal development side as I go back and look. There's also another, uh, a, a, kind of more of a peer, I guess you could say, because she learned this stuff from Lamont at the same time that we were learning it, and her name's Rachel Anderson, also a good friend of mine, and a wonderful human being. She... And I learned this at the same time, but she really latched onto it. And it became kind of one of her mantras, it seemed, that curiosity was the key. And the more I use it and the more I recognize how powerful this tool is, the more I believe that she's absolutely right. And then someone I don't know, unfortunately, I'd love to meet her one day because I admire her in a hundred different ways. But that is the singer Jewel. Now, if you don't know who Jewel is, not right now, wait until the podcast is over, Uh, but then, you know, turn on Spotify or go over to YouTube and play a few of her top songs. And the first song she ever wrote, Who Will Save Your Soul, is a lot about her saving her own soul. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. Now, today's episode is going to have a lot of stuff from Jewel and a lot of stuff that I learned from some combination of Lamont and other students of Lamont like Rachel. And I want you to recognize this, and I think this is really, really important. I'm not just going to talk about this thing and tell you how great it is and how much it's improved my life. I'm going to tell you exactly how to use this tool of curiosity. It is a very, very powerful tool. And I I want you to learn it. Um, I have learned it in deeper and better ways. Uh, the lo- longer I go along, the more I go along, the more curious I become, and the better I am able to recognize my own, um, you know, the own pit. Uh, what's, what's the word? Pitfalls uh, that are in front of me uh, that keep me from progressing to where I want to be. And the more able I am to reroute my path to take me where I really want to be. I was on the Just Ingredients podcast. A lot of you heard me there for the first time on her episode 61. And when she said at the end, like she does on her show, if you're familiar with it, what is what is, the best ingredient to life, um, I opened that episode or close that episode with the word curiosity and explain a little bit about it. But I'm going to explain about it in greater detail now. Also, if you're a listener of the Just Ingredients podcast, I was just interviewed again uh, last Thursday. I'll be on in the next month or so. And really excited to talk on or to, for you to hear that okay so we've got this emotional vitality toolbox and what i'd like to do over the next i don't know what it'll be it's probably going to be a year because we're not going to roll these out every single week but every you know few weeks or so one episode of vitality radio will be dedicated to this emotional vitality toolbox and giving you another tool that you can use to gain emotional freedom one thing that jen and, and i have noticed um is that it is probably, how do I put this? Vitality Radio has largely been about things that we can put in our body or avoid putting in our body, right? I talk about avoiding certain pharmaceuticals, or as often as possible, all pharmaceuticals, uh, making sure you're getting all the right nutrients, my vital five that I talk about all the time, and various other things. I talk about how I've given up seed oils and feel dramatically better since I did that. I've talked about all types of things like that, organic, you know, versus con, uh, you know, conventional and so on and so forth. But I'm convinced that no matter what I can sell you, because I sell a lot of those things, right? Vitamins, minerals, herbs, and whatnot. Um, nothing I can sell you can play a greater role in your health, physical or mental, emotional, than what I can actually potentially teach you with what I can help you with, with this toolbox. And I want to make sure too, that you recognize that this is not coming from my ego. This is coming from simply just personal experience and recognizing what the power, what power I now hold to dictate where I go in my life based on the information that I've received. And it's not that I am some guru i'm not tony robbins or even lamont wilcox or any of these other people i'm just a guy who thank goodness figured out some stuff with some help from some amazing human beings who also figured out some stuff and i just want to essentially pay it forward and share it with you These are not things I can sell you. These are things that I hope to teach you, and I hope you'll take them uh, and use them to better your life and and teach them to people who you love as well. So today we're going to focus on this first tool in the toolbox that we're going to talk about on this episode. is going to be curiosity. And again, very specific details on exactly how to use it. So whether you're happy, depressed, have kids, grandkids, or don't have either. If you're in a relationship or you're single or you struggle with relationships or you've had a great relationship, I don't believe there's anybody listening to this episode right now that can't use this tool in a big way and certainly better than you probably are now. Maybe there's a few people that really have this figured out, but I can tell you that I've been using it in ways that I never used it before over the last few years, and I don't—I th- think I'm just barely unta- uh, tapping its potential, I guess is the way to put it. So, now, today I am going to intermingle largely the story that I've learned from Jewel. I'm going to link to the Joe Rogan podcast where Jewel is on, and I'm going to highly recommend that you spend whatever you need to spend to get a hold of her book, Never Broken, it is a powerhouse of literature. It's her autobiography, and she tells you how she dug herself out of the deepest hole you can almost imagine uh, to become a, you know, not just world-famous 30 million album sold superstar, because all that's great, but we also know that people like that in their life all the time, right? She became a happy person after being a depressed and anxious person and she did it for herself so there's going to be a lot about jewel but there's also going to be a lot that i learned from lamont and from my friend rachel and from my my own personal experience and certainly experience of my sweetheart jen as well and so it's going to all be kind of intermingled here i'm going to try to lay it out as cleanly as i possibly can for you and uh, get you the best information that i possibly can If you do have questions about this, you certainly can uh, call us at Vitality Nutrition, um, but um, I haven't necessarily armed my, my team with uh, the ability to answer all of these questions in depth, uh, but uh, we do have the availability of some coaching uh, that we can help you with at Vitality. If you're interested on, in, in this side of stuff, the Emotional Vitality thing, we can help you with that as well. You can call us about anything you hear on the show, of course, at 801 292 66, 62. When Jewel was 15, she was homeless, but living in her car in San Diego. Then her car was stolen, so she was literally on the streets. She shoplifted to live, but also, she said, to show herself love. She didn't realize that back then, but... Uh, It ended up being an addiction uh, for her shoplifting. She even did it when she didn't need things. Um, And that was kind of the state that she was in. She was having chronic panic attacks uh, spurred by the abuse that she had as a child, that she received as a child, I should say, and, you know, eventually ran away at the age of 15. Um, All of this was kind of her, you know, state of affairs at this point, and I think this is a really important thing to kind of lock in on here. She had nothing, no money, no therapist, no drugs, no vitamins, no herbs. She figured this out on her own. She knew she was going to end up dead, or and just another statistic, if she didn't figure it out for herself. So she did figure it out. And that is really, really powerful because i do believe that many of us when we feel stuck in life we often have this kind of typical reaction that hey it's it's permanent we feel hopeless we feel overwhelmed we make excuses i love how jewel put it though she said i had the unique blessing of having everything taken from me now that outlook alone is bam powerful when you have nothing left to lose Why not try something different, right? So here's what she did. She loved to write. So she decided to start tracking things, writing things in a notebook. And uh, there's a lot here than what I'm a lot more here than what I'm going to share with you, which is I I really recommend her book and certainly the Rogan podcast, which is three hours with her. And I've only got an hour with you. Uh, But basically after a few experiments um, that she called her emotional science experiments, she became an emotional scientist. She stumbled onto something that my Jen and I consider to be huge. She became what she calls the observer. She noticed that her hands were the servants of her mind. And this is how, uh, how she came across the tool of curiosity. She calls her emotional states dilated and contracted. My friend Lamont calls them free and confined. And science simply calls them the parasympathetic and the sympathetic sides of our autonomic nervous system. It's also known as the rest and digest on the parasympathetic side or the fight or flight on the sympathetic side. And by the way, there is really no woo-woo about any of this stuff with curiosity. This is actually pretty well-proven science. It's just that most people don't talk about it this way. And you can actually be the emotional scientist and experiment with your own psyche if you choose to. And the biggest tool you use for that is not a microscope, but it's kind of like one, and that is curiosity to kind of look inside and try and figure out what the heck's going on in there. To keep this straight, the sympathetic nervous system versus parasympathetic nervous system, I'll share a little analogy that I came up with. The sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight nervous system, is when you're skydiving. And whether you have or not, you can pro- I've never have, you can probably lock in on what this might be like. I know skydiving is very loud at first. You jump out of the plane. Your only thought, I have to imagine, is at a point here in a little bit, I'm going to have to pull my ripcord or I'm going to die. It's very, very loud because you're plummeting to the earth and the wind is blowing up both ears and the, you know your your jumpsuit is rippling in the wind and all this kind of stuff. It's just super noisy, super stressful, and I would imagine a little terrifying at that point you are in full flight or fight or flight mode as you're plummeting towards the earth. That's the sympathetic nervous system. But when you pull the ripcord and the parachute deploys, now you're in the parasympathetic nervous system. And guess what happens? Apparently, everything gets very quiet. And as you glide towards the earth, you can see the bigger picture. You're no longer hyper fixated on that one thing you absolutely have to do, pulling that ripcord or you're going to die. You're now looking out at the beauty of the earth. You've got this massive panoramic view of everything beneath you and to the sides of you. You can see it all. And it must be just this most amazing, beautiful experience as you now glide towards the earth as opposed to plummeting towards the earth so parasympathetic is rest and digest sympathetic is of course fight or flight so what was she doing well she knew or she figured out that she couldn't be in both states at once she couldn't be dilated which is in in, in her way of thinking open um, and contracted closed and stressed and tight Um, at the same time. And that is true. We know that we are either in our sympathetic or parasympathetic nervous system. So in her notebook, she wrote contracted or dilated on the top of the page. She had two columns. Okay. One for contracted, remember stressed out, fight or flight, one for dilated, open, calm, free, rest and digest. Then she noticed that when she was in one state or the other, she would start to ask herself questions. And the three big questions were, when I feel stressed and anxious and tight and constricted, what am I thinking, what am I feeling, and what am I doing? Now, in, not in every case did she have an answer for all three of those things, but she always had an answer for one or two of them, and oftentimes for all three. She noticed that when she was contracted or feeling stressed and anxious, that she was doing things that she said were on a loop mistreating herself, not sleeping, isolating herself, saying cruel things about herself. And she realized they were very specific things that she kind of went to, and she called them addictive behaviors, but not typical addictive behaviors like, you know, drugs or alcohol or gambling or whatever. These were her own little personal addictions of how she treated herself when she was feeling that way. And I love that she says that they were on a loop because if you think about your own, you know, mental, emotional state and you start to recognize and do what Jewel did. And and we'll keep uh, carrying on and explaining it in a little more detail. You'll start to see that there are very defined patterns that you follow. You may have already seen this and noticed this. The question you might have is, okay, so how the heck do I stop following them? And that is where curiosity comes in. So she noticed that that's what was going on when she was constricted, um, not in her free state, but in her confined state. And that she was literally addicted to some of these things. And that is because our brain has a reward system. Now, reward is a funny name because sometimes it does feel like a reward. We get a, you know, you've heard of getting a, dopamine hit or a dopamine rush or oxytocin when you feel, you know, loved and, and uh, you're feeling affection, being touched, held, cuddled, that sort of thing, right? Neurotransmitters fire, though, for a lot of reasons, and they can make us feel a lot of things. We've heard about dopamine and oxytocin, like I said, also serotonin, but also cortisol and adrenaline. We won't get into what all of these things do or how they work. Suffice it to say that our subconscious mind does what it thinks or rather what it has been trained to do to a large degree by us, but in some cases also um, again when we were little children. So that is called, if our subconscious mind is kind of taking the wheel, it's called neurological autopilot. And you've caught yourself, if you're a driver, you've caught yourself driving down the highway and You're not asleep, but your mind goes somewhere else and you're driving along and all of a sudden you sort of become aware that you've missed two or three or four exits and you didn't even realize you missed them. But you didn't kill anybody. You didn't run yourself off the road. You're good enough at driving. You've done enough of it that the subconscious mind can keep you between the lines and you can drive down the road and pretty much zone out And most of the time, do just fine. A more simple example would be just tying your shoe. Remember how hard it was to try and figure out how to tie your shoe. I had a devil of a time of it when I was a kid. But once you figure it out and you've got it down, you don't have to ever have to think about tying your shoe again. Your subconscious mind just handles that task for you. Your physical body does the job, but your subconscious mind remembers exactly how it's done. And like I said, I love that she said that she was... She, she had these things on a loop. When she felt that nervous tension and anxiousness and everything, it was all on a loop. She was in a pattern. We get caught in these brain patterns. Lamont calls them our mental maps that don't serve us because our brain, our subconscious mind, not our conscious mind, thinks that it is serving us. Now, is that confusing at all? Well, think about it. I just talked about driving down the road. Yes, your subconscious mind is serving you by not getting you killed when you zone out on the freeway. That's great. And it's serving you when you can tie your shoe in a jiffy without even thinking about it while also having a conversation with your partner while you're getting ready to go to work. That autopilot thing is real and it's estimated somewhere around 80 plus percent, maybe as much as 95 percent, depending on where I read or who I ask, of the Decisions we make every day are autopilot decisions, basically our subconscious mind just handling things for us. It's kind of cool, except that it doesn't always work in our favor. Sometimes it works to our detriment. I would say probably oftentimes works to our detriment. So our subconscious mind is giving us what it thinks we want even if that doesn't feel like a reward. And that all has to do with how neurotransmitters fire in the brain. The subconscious mind can't tell the difference if it's giving us something we want or something we really consciously don't want. It's just giving us what we have always essentially taught it that we want to feel. So if we're constantly feeling stressed out and anxious, we're training our subconscious mind that that's how we want to feel. And so it will find things to be anxious and stressed out about. If we're constantly feeling lonely, depressed, uh, you know, uh, of the victim, whatever it is, our subconscious mind will help us actually feel those things on a consistent basis. And we consciously can take charge and can dictate to our subconscious mind that we actually don't want that, but not if we don't recognize it when it's happening. And that's the key to how Jewel did it. Now, there's lots of ways to do this, and Lamont teaches actually a little bit of a different way. But there's kind of some magic in both, and I'll probably get into a lot more of, well, I know I'll get into a lot more of Lamont's teachings as I do these shows. But the way that Jewel did it, I think, is kind of magical And maybe it's just because it's fascinating to me that at 15 years old, she figured this out with no mentor, no money, no nothing but her own innate wisdom, which you probably heard me talk about before on Vitality Radio. I put a lot of energy into innate wisdom. I believe that we know what is best for us if we listen. And that's what she did. It's really, really cool. So if your subconscious mind can't tell the difference of, you know, a a reward you want and a reward you don't want from a neurotransmitter standpoint, and you keep eating up the rewards that it serves, then it will keep bringing more of that to your plate. So contrary to how Jewel was in her confined state or contracted state, as she calls it, When she was in her free or dilated state, she was thinking things like, tomorrow will be a better day. I can rather than I can't. And she would find herself playing music, walking in nature, having her feet in the dirt or sand. And she was feeling free, hopeful, energized. So remember, she was asking herself, what was I thinking? What was I feeling? What was I doing? And this is where some of the magic is. She would contrast the two things. She would notice that her body was feeling something, anxiety in this case. And she knew that that meant that she was contracted and kind of tight and stiff and not open to learning or anything else. She was just in that fight or flight mode. And when she recognized what her thoughts were that took her there or what her actions were that took her there, or what her feelings were that took her there, or some combination of those three, then she was able to stop. And as she said, put a gap. If there was a thought, she could think the thought, she could then stop it, become the observer, and ask herself, do I want to keep feeling that thought, or thinking that thought? Now, this is really, really interesting because she discovered exactly what she was thinking, feeling, or doing every single time that she was in her free or confined state. She had a map to her own subconscious mind and a guidebook on how to reroute it to where she wanted to be. So now she realized several things. First, once she felt confined, as I was saying, she could, if she chose to, take herself out of it by thinking or doing something that always made her feel free. Because remember, she had both sides of the ledger, so to speak. She had that contracted state, and she also had that dilated state. And if she felt contracted, she could look over to the side of the dilated state and do something that made her feel free. Put her feet in the earth, play a song. Whatever it was that, in her case, always made her feel calm. She, was a, she, she said she had this incredible attraction to nature so largely she would grab a hold of natural things um, you know be outdoors looking at the sun the sky the trees and so on and she would be able to stop put a little gap observe what she was doing and make a choice to do something differently if she chose to it sounds really simple right and actually on paper it kind of is we get to choose to tell ourselves that it isn't simple though. We get to choose to ignore our ability to change direction, to pull the rip cord, or we get to choose freedom. Now don't get me wrong, it is a practice, but everything is a practice. And to get really good at something, it requires practice. And the more you practice it, just like everything else, the easier it becomes, and eventually, I promise it can become second nature. I'm not there yet. It's not 100% second nature for me, but it's kind of close. I do find myself questioning it just about every single time when I feel that confinement. Jewel said something fascinating that could seem absurd on its face, but I believe it's really brilliant. Once I learned that my anxiety was my ally, she said, and really became my best friend. I was able to use it to realize that I didn't have anxiety because there was something wrong with me. I had anxiety because there was something right with me. My body was telling me that I felt anxious because I wasn't being authentic. I had just participated in something that didn't agree with me. Now she's going back to those thoughts and feelings and doings that she was doing when she felt those things. When she was doing those things, or feeling those things, or thinking those things, it wasn't her authentic, calm, happy self. It was her sympathetic nervous system going crazy because she was taking herself down paths that weren't comfortable for her, and yet her subconscious mind kept giving her that reward. So she used anxiety as her ally her best friend. Just imagine that. Just imagine that. If your anxiety could be the way you get out of your anxiety, if your depression could be the way you get out of your depression, I believe that it can. In fact, I know that it can. She asked herself when she felt anxiety, What was I just thinking? And then she would write it down. And she would ask herself, Am I willing to stop engaging in that thought? And if so, what could I replace it with? And then she'd jump to the other side of the ledger and replace it with something that pulled her out of that state, that sympathetic fight-or-flight state, and pulled her back into her free open, dilated state where she wanted to be. That is power. And it is power that every single one of us can wield. The power of curiosity allows us to stop, listen to our own thoughts, observe what we are doing, thinking, or feeling, and if we choose, change it right there. Because the first part is curiosity, recognizing that you're going down a path that doesn't serve you. And the challenging part, I think after that is choosing to not keep going down that path. Replace the thought with something that serves you. You can make your own map and anxiety and depression, even addiction, they can all be your guide to your own healing and authenticity. Perhaps the most powerful thing that I can share with you today is this. You are not broken. I don't care if you're addicted to something. I don't care if you've been diagnosed or labeled as mentally ill, like my sweetheart Jen was labeled as bipolar. And you may know this by now, but I told her when I first met her, you're not bipolar. You might have symptoms, but you aren't bipolar. I don't care if you can't get out of your own way. With finances or relationships or whatever else your circumstances might be. You are not broken. You are never broken. I love how Jewel puts it. A soul is not a teacup, it cannot be broken. It can only be buried. And hers was buried under years of abuse, resentment, addiction, abandonment, and homelessness. What might yours be buried under? I know that mine was buried under plenty after two divorces and many other things that I alluded to um, on a Facebook post that I wrote a few days ago. I know my gins was buried under plenty of stuff too, but interestingly enough, when we met, I could see something sparkling underneath the surface in her and she could see something sparkling underneath the surface in me. Isn't it funny how at least I've noticed, we are often so much more willing to give grace to others, you know, people we care about, our kids, our uh, spouse, our parents, aunts and uncles, friends, whatever it is, than we're willing to give to ourselves. When we learn to observe and we learn to see what takes us to our confined state, and by contrast, what takes us to our free state, we have the ability to observe and make a little gap. Between the thought and the action, we can respond instead of react. We can reroute our subconscious maps. That is actually neuroscience. It's called neuroplasticity. Jewel said another couple of things that I thought were very insightful and happy. She said, First off, you need to refuse to die without figuring out how to be happy. Now, she probably is talking about the potential for suicide that some people have, but I happen to know. Two people, my grandpa and grandma St. Clair, that didn't refuse to, they, they did not commit suicide, but they did die without finding happiness. And that is so incredibly tragic because I believe that everyone can, everyone can, regardless of what your circumstances are. And I believe that the power of curiosity, that power tool can absolutely be the first and most powerful tool in your toolkit to get yourself from that confined, fight or flight, always feeling overwhelmed state to calm, rested and ready to be happy. The other thing Jewel said that I thought was amazing is willingness was my greatest ally. And I think there's real truth in that. Are you willing to do what it takes to get there? Does this seem impossible? Because I will admit, I don't know what hopeless feels like. I don't. I've never felt that. There were times after my second divorce that I felt like it was a, I'll say, pretty long odds that I was ever going to end up married again. But I also knew that I I wanted to be with somebody. I wanted to have, you know, my someone to do life with. I wasn't sure it was going to happen, but I think in the back of my mind, I always thought it probably could and would. Well, I knew it could. I just don't have hopelessness in my DNA, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I was born with a toolkit that's a little more full than some people's. I don't know. But I know that there are people listening right now, and you may be one of them, that do feel hopeless, that do feel overwhelmed, that don't feel like they can get out of their own way. And all I want you to know is that you can. My sweet fiancé, Jen... She did it, and I was there, and I watched it. I watched the entire process from as close as I possibly could without being her. I saw all of it, and I want you to know that I didn't do it for her. It's impossible to do it for somebody else, and nobody's going to do it for you. I believed in her. I helped her find a few tools, and I gave her a lot of supplements (laughs) as a bridge from here to there but it's kind of an amazing thing. She used to use so much CBD, so much ashwagandha, so much L-theanine, all these things I talk about for anxiety. She used them all. She used a lot of them and they helped. But I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, as a guy who sells that stuff for a living, I don't want you to rely on any supplement I sell to be able to smile. To be able to feel like things are going to be okay. That's not why I'm in the business that I'm in. That's not why I do this podcast. This podcast, this episode, has nothing to do with selling you anything. The goal is just to help you find what I have found. And even more importantly, what Jen has found. Because she has experienced hopelessness. I don't think she had much of any of it. Hope in much of anything when I met her. But she does now. And everybody that sees her smile on Facebook or Instagram or wherever that's known her all her life is like, what happened? I can tell you what happened. She got pretty damn curious. She looked inside she sat in silence. She did some really amazing, emotional, scientific experiments. And she found it. She found the answers. And they were in her all along. And I will tell you, while I was never hopeless, oh my gosh, was I in the darkest place of my life. In fact, I want to read for you something that I wrote on Facebook. On Friday or Saturday night, I can't remember which I think it was Friday night um, so three, four days ago. It's kind of long. I hope you'll indulge me, but it, it and I it had nothing to do with um, it has everything to do with what I just shared with you, but I wasn't intending to <laughs> share it with you uh, during this episode. And right before I started recording, I thought, oh, maybe I should read that. It got a whole lot of traction on Facebook. A lot of people comment. I even had a gentleman uh, private message me and and, uh, ask me for a few more details because he's going through some tough stuff right now. Regardless, I think there's power in it. I think there's value, and I'd like to share it with you. And it will teach you that although I love this jewel method, it can be done many, many ways. Curiosity is a multi-tool, and I have found silence. Is one of the best places to use it. So I'm going to read this to you now. I'm 51 years old. I have four kids, two stepkids, two grandkids, and two more coming very soon. I've been divorced twice. I'm getting married again in January. I've started multiple businesses or branches of my core business. I've failed hard in many of these attempts, but I've also become very successful with my store, my website, and my podcast. I've been cheated out of I think about five hundred thousand dollars in my life through embezzlement or some other various way of having things stolen from me. Um, I've tried I, I've hired maybe a hundred people over the years, most of which didn't work out and didn't stick around for very long, but some of which are absolutely incredible people and are still with me today. I've made some unbelievably short-sighted decisions that have cost me much more than just money. I have struggled with my own demons, and I still do sometimes. I have a listening audience that refers to me sometimes as a guru, a genius, Dr. Jared, or even a godsend. I've been called a charlatan, a huckster, a snake oil salesman, and I've even had two people so far say that they hope I would die. I have often not come through for the people that I care about the most. I have been a true friend, but sometimes have also been a neglectful one. Through it all, I've maintained a smile on my face and a penchant for laughter and making others laugh as well. I've been around the block a few times and I've learned a lot, but one of the things I have always struggled with is this. Being still and listening to my own inner voice or my innate wisdom, as I just stated it. I believe and have always believed that we are being guided. I believe that we have been designed with innate intelligence that can and does tell us things that we couldn't have understood on our own intellect. I also believe that in my case, I have done an excellent job of not knowing when I'm actually being guided or not listening and simply letting my ego or my desire to just get things done take the wheel. Lately, as I have contemplated a third marriage, a very popular podcast that some say is their favorite, thank you for those of you who say that, and this thing called being a grandpa. I've chosen to sit in silence a lot more. My sweet Jen even laughed at me today because I said something about being quiet and she said, you can't stand to be quiet. Well, until recently, that was very true. And most days I've got music on or a podcast or I'm talking or something. But I have always wanted to have, yeah, to have that stuff going on in my life. Have noise, sound, something. And uh, two of my greatest uh, sources of joy have been music and being educated. So I listen to stuff that gets me excited about things. And I don't think it's a bad thing, but yeah, silence wasn't really my friend. What I have failed to learn until just the last couple of years is that silence is a fantastic classroom. Right now I'm sitting in my daughter's bed, on my daughter's bed in the house that I grew up in, I'm here all alone, and there is no music and almost no sound whatsoever. I must admit that there have been times in my life when I didn't want it quiet because I would find the silence to be too reflective. But now I embrace the silence sometimes. Probably not often enough, but on nights like tonight, I can learn a lot. It was just very recently that I decided to change the trajectory of my life by asking this amazing woman of mine to marry me. As reality has set in on that, I have recognized that no matter how incredible and resilient this relationship has become, it's still not a sure thing. Nothing much is. So I've been listening, sitting in silence and just feeling things out. I'm learning from myself. I'm hearing things in my soul. When the silence breaks and I put the music on, I am learning from the lyrics. Today, two songs that I have heard dozens of times spoke to me in pretty dramatic ways. I'm learning to be patient. That's a funny thing, because I've been told that I am one of the most patient people Excuse me, people on the earth. Truth is, I'm very patient with others, but not always so much with myself. I'm learning to truly allow others, especially my children, to be who they are, to make their mistakes, and to sometimes not even necessarily want me around all that much, and to be eh, mostly okay with that. As I sit and listen and contemplate, I feel an urgency. And as I listen in silence all alone, when the sound of life comes back and I am surrounded by people once again, I know better what to do and how to serve them. Lately, my love and I have maybe 10 to 12 people who've come to us for help. They see two happy people who understand some things about health, physical and mental uh, that they haven't learned yet and they ask for us to teach them. Some are very sick, some are potentially facing divorce, some are facing addiction, some are having a faith crisis, some are feeling abandoned, and others are feeling nearly hopeless. Jen posted pics of our engagement and family pictures with her kids and grands recently. The most common comment was, it's so good to see you so happy, Jen. You know, when I met her, happy wasn't a word one would have used to describe her. Now, she genuinely is. When we met, hopeful wasn't a word people would have chosen for either of us, at least when it comes to a romantic relationship. When we met, I was in the darkest chapter of my life, and she wasn't doing much better. She was listening, though. She was looking for guidance. She says that when she met me, I was a literal answer to her prayers. My ego was ready to accept that. But it wasn't ready to accept that she might also be the answer to mine. Maybe because I hadn't been praying much at that point, but mostly because I thought I was better than her. At least that's what my ego and my mind told me. Like I said, it was a dark time. I'm not proud of it. But the first time that we talked, I knew I was supposed to be in her life, and at least for some degree, to some degree, I knew why. I was there to show her how to hope again. I was there to make her laugh and smile and believe that she could actually be happy. I just didn't think I was going to be I, I just didn't think it was going to be long-term with me. Because even when I was in my darkest hour, I never lost hope. Maybe I didn't hope for lasting love anymore, but I hoped for redemption and peace of mind. I never stopped smiling. And I believe that is one of my superpowers. I highly suggest cultivating that as your own. Smiling and laughing are some game-changing behaviors. I was there to teach her to smile effortlessly, as she now does. Over the last couple of years, but especially since last Thanksgiving, I've been listening a lot more to my inner voice, and to her actual voice. Not just hearing words, but truly comprehending their meaning. It's impossible to explain the phenomenon that we have experienced unless maybe you have felt this way too. In the last year, I've been relieved of all doubt about where she and I will end up. The only concerns that I have left are on the periphery, mostly regarding our kids. What I do not doubt anymore is us and how we will lean into the challenge and fight through any and all of it together. A dear friend of mine told me the other day that I am a brave man for doing this for a third time, you know, marriage. I didn't say it at the time, but I realize it now. I'm not the one doing this for a third time. This version of me has never been married before. I'm doing this with a woman who is the best version of herself that she has ever been, and I am the best version of me. Some call us a power couple. Words are words, but they do have meaning. Some perceive us as powerful, and technically, I agree. We are. There will be no fourth time, because the third time will never end. But that's not why I sat down and wrote this post. I sat down to write this post about silence and and what can be learned. As I have written this, I have learned even more. I sent a simple message to Jen a couple of nights ago. I said, good night, my love. We aren't together just for us. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that we are being guided and people are being guided to us. It's not that we have some amazing gift or genius to share. It's just that we've been around for a while and between us have fought through multiple addictions, a suicide attempt, significant health issues, a bogus mental health diagnosis, multiple divorces, the loss of parents, siblings, and friends, betrayal, and a host of other challenges. We are still here, and we are happy. We both have a huge desire to show others how to hope again, how to beat illness, addiction, and broken homes, and most importantly, how to be happy. Sitting in silence, I have learned so much about who I really am and a great deal about why I'm really here. The fragility of being human is real, and so is the strength and resilience that humans can muster. We get to choose which side we focus on. We Do we crumble or do we conquer? To my injured friends, to my addicted friends, to my lost friends, to my hopeless friends, to my beautiful children, I say hope is ever present. Happiness is always an option. I ask you to sit and listen in the silence. It truly does speak louder than words if we choose to hear and listen. I hope this episode was valuable for you. I hope that it is, uh, something you needed to hear regardless of what your mental, emotional state is that you found value in it. And that if it, um, if you've already got this stuff figured out, that this will be something that you can share with a friend or a family member, or a neighbor that needs it. I love doing what I do. I love recording this show. I love that you're willing to listen to it. Thank you so much. If you have questions, call us 801-292-6662 at Vitality Nutrition or jump online at vitalitynutrition.com. We'd love to help you with all your health needs. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio.
0: You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag VitalityRadioPodcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.